<laughs> this is the one that knows all about that. So he gave you a new DNA and a new heart. And that new seed that is in you cannot sin. It can't rebel against God. It says in John uh, that the new part of you cannot sin because it's always part of him. And it always wants to please him. And it's divine and it is of the spirit. So the rebirth is spiritual, not natural. You are spirit, soul and body. And from the fall, you've been accustomed to living in your soul. Uh, to what you think, you feel, you touch, taste, see and hear. Your senses are your primary receptors for life. And based on what they receive, you make your judgments. But you don't really make any new ones. You just fill them in under the uh, heading you decided a long time ago and fill up the files, you know, because that's how strongholds are built in your mind. And they're like a fortified city up here between your ears. Very difficult to pull down. And 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 6 tells us that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. That's nothing to do with spiritual warfare, everything to do with the way you think. That's what that's talking about. So when I was preparing for this, I felt the Lord was saying it has to do with the receptors. We were all born with those love receptors. And the trouble is that the receptors have got damaged. And I did a little picture, it's like they're all zigzaggy, you know, they're just not, they're not picking up right. They got damaged, sometimes beyond repair. And when we come into the kingdom, we're unable to receive what God has already given us. Our receptors are malfunctioning. So you get malfunction, malfunction, you know, picking up on the wrong frequency. The messages we get are jumbled and make very little sense and sometimes they seem to contradict themselves. So we run here and there trying to get a formula that will work because we like that. So we pick up from the frequency we've been taught by life. Most of us it's earn it, get it right. That is usually the thing that the subliminal tape. The trouble is that no one tells us what it is. So you don't know how to get it right because you don't know what it is, if you see what I mean. So we go on striving more and more to get it right, and it's particularly true of performance Christianity. Saved by faith and grace and then work for it. Innocence is a quality that we're born with and then slowly lose through the experiences of our lives. And as I say, when I was preparing this, this is the example that God gave me. A puppy is a real good example. You take it out, bounces up to everyone, tail wagging, tongue lolling, absolutely sure you're going to love it, absolutely certain, but it's been in the mud and it's got huge feet and they're wet and dirty. So it thinks it's going to get a loving reception in a pack, can't wait to get it. You, most often, though, we back off and say to it, get down. That's our response, is go away. So suddenly it doesn't feel loved anymore. What's wrong with me? So he's tugged by his owner to come to heal and life isn't quite the ball of laughs he thought it was. And then to crown it all, he goes home, has a poo on the rug and his nose is rubbed in his own excrement and he's thrown outside to house training. That's called a rude awakening. And like the puppy, every time we have one of those bitter experiences, most often as a child we lose a little bit more of our heart's capacity to, to be open because of the way we perceive the action. In fact, the owner was trying to train the puppy, but the puppy didn't realise that. 
most often though the way that we're trained is not kind because it's for the parents convenience because it's the old eros love again we'll talk more about that another time but God only trains us for our good he doesn't train us for his good <laughs> his love is completely different so the way we think and perceive things in our, holy, in our human spirit withers and we become guarded, wary, mistrustful and suspicious, defensive, closed, rebellious, hardened to correction and deaf. Or we turn to people pleasing, doing just everything to make people accept us, sitting up and begging all the time. Or we can attention seek, needing to fill that huge empty gap somehow or we become dependent on others to the point where being with us actually suffocates them. All the time we're trying to draw nurture from them, the nurture that we should receive from God himself. And we've got many, many ways of deriving the nurture we believe we need, and it truly is a do-it-yourself job, because we get it down to a fine art. And we put down roots. A root is a practiced, hidden way of drinking or deriving nurture from God, ourselves and others. And it's practiced and hidden because our root system is built in childhood perceptions and grows with us. And it's reinforced throughout life until we're born again. And we are totally unaware of our root system. It's like the tree we're up. There's nothing a baby can do to be loved. All it can do is receive. I read something of uh, Andrew Murray's once and he said, imagine that you are, and in these days when they used to have sanatoriums, you know, and they push the beds out onto the veranda there for you to get the sun. So all you can do is lay there and take in the sun. That's how God wants us to be, to just receive what he gives. All we can do is lay there and receive it. So as I said, we were built to receive love, we were created for love, God created us to have a face-to-face -face relationship with him, but something happened in the garden that broke that fellowship, that sent Adam running and hiding in fear from his creator. I was afraid, he said, so I hid. We're born with the distortion of the fall and it's irreparable. Makeovers won't work, they just won't cut it. Everything has to be done away with and a new start made. If we could have saved ourselves by self-effort, Jesus wouldn't have come. Just yesterday when I'd done all this, the new Joyce Mayer magazine came in through the door and uh, I just flicked through it. And as is so often the case, whatever God is talking to me, is, is, it comes through the door here. He makes all things new, isn't it, thing here. I always believe that God can instantly and dramatically turn any situation you face completely around. A set of tapes she's got is called Extreme Personality Makeover. This is her offer this month. God wants to change you into a new creation. It's all about living in the new. We must embrace change and make it our friend. I thought, well, there you go. I rest my case. Joyce May is saying it. Who am I to argue? <laughs> So only the divine seed within us is suitable. And baptism in water is our cut-off point from the old life. When you were born again from above, unless you fully recognise and understand what happened to you, you'll continue to live in the earthly part of you, your soul. And that part is the food for the enemy. Lunch is served and barrel is on the menu, as I said 
earlier on. It's his territory. Your soul is the only place he can operate. He can buffet you there any time he likes. He can pop a thought in and leave you to embroider it. That is the way he works. Did God really say, hmm, I don't know. And then off you go, down a rabbit trail. Before you know where you are, you're down the pit. That's that fortified city between your ears again. Before you know where you are, you're defeated, depressed, isolated, disillusioned and without hope. Your soul will minister death to you every single time, aided and abetted by the enemy. So we've got to begin to war against ourselves and this is where the will comes in. Making positive choices to line up with the Holy Spirit's truth of who we are in Christ. The enemy cannot touch your spirit, it's linked up to God, he won't go there. If he knocks on the door, God answers, so he's not going to chance that one, is he? And this is where you're intended to live from, from the inside out. This is what she's talking about, living life from the inside out. From your spirit man, through the soul to the body. So the soul has to come under the benevolent dictatorship of the Holy Spirit. Graham Cook explains it beautifully in, in his book, Towards a Powerful Inner Life. I had a couple of copies, but they've gone. I recommend you get a copy. Uh, don't just read it. Study to live it. Because it's not something that you can read through and think, ah, oh, I've got it. It's something you need consistently to go back to. So this is where we're meant to live from, from the inside out. From our spirit man through the soul to the body. Not from the soul to the body, leaving out the spirit. The soul is more in love with its idea of God than it is with God himself. It drags its heels, given every excuse under the sun why it can't cooperate. It whines, it stamps its foot, pouts, runs away, anything to avoid surrender to the spirit. Another word for it is rebellion. Paul says that the carnal mind is at war with God. It's not subject to the laws of God, neither can it be. It's that word again, that submission word. Someone was talking to me at lunchtime and saying how easy submission actually is and what, how much more peaceful their life is now than the battles that they had before, simply because they're submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's the peaceful way, and it isn't an option now. We have to learn to be submissive to the will and purposes of God or we'll never, ever grow. Sometimes it's as though the actual transaction of the rebirth never took place. Almost as though, as I was talking to the Lord about this, but I was doing, it's like they need to be born again again. Uh, but this time to understand what actually took place in order that they can see the choices they have to live in the older than you. Death or life, you get to choose all day, every day. And I wrote this, I do hope you are not here because you think I have some sort of miracle cure, not that you do at all. Um, because what the body lacks right now is teaching and training and God is making up the deficit. The principle is that right thinking results in right behaviour, wrong thinking results in wrong behaviour. But first we have to recognise where our thinking is wrong. If you have a spirit of slavery, otherwise known as an orphan spirit, you either don't have enough information to take to make choices, and that's quite likely, or you're rebelling against the choices God has given you. Though you'll probably neither admit to that or maybe even recognise that that's what's happening. Because we get used to slavery and bondage. 
and actually moving our feet might be costly, too costly. And we're conditioned to getting our knees met in our own particular way and we become blind and maybe deaf to any other option. There's always a cost to getting healed. Some of you have heard the story I told before when we went down to uh, Tintagel in Cornwall and God led us to a little shop down on the quay. It's probably gone now because Tintagel got flooded, didn't it? And this lady had a, a, a bad back or earpaw or something, didn't she? She was a Christian. And we started to talk to her and the Lord said, tell her I'll, I'll pray for her. Uh, if she will get rid of her prop. And he gave me the blind beggar and his bowl. You know, the blind beggar, when he asked Jesus to heal him, knew that he was going to have to throw away his cloak and his bowl because they were the ways that he got his knees met. So to receive his healing, he had to get rid of the way he sustained himself all his life. And I said to this lady, I don't know what it is that you've got that's a prop, but it, God says if you, if you will surrender it, he will heal you. And she thought for a minute, and uh, no, the cost is too great. She was on invalidity benefit, and she wouldn't give it up. So she traded her healing for invalidity benefit, because she knew that would mean it was costly. And I often wonder what happened there, but we couldn't pray, and that was that. That sandwich stuff. So, if that's where you are right now, you've got a mindset. An orphan spirit is a mindset. It's a mindset in concrete, and you have to make some changes. Remember how I started this morning, getting free from the slave mentality? The orphan spirit will require you to make some will choices, to change your thinking, your belief system. Your will doesn't feel anything, you know. Good job it doesn't, because you've lived on your feelings long enough. And you not need now to start believing and living with the truth, not your feelings. You may have a flabby will. It hasn't been exercised. And like faith, it's a muscle, and it needs exercise. And that's something I can't do for you. Neither can anyone else. You may have come from a background where it's all solved by a quick prayer and laying on of hands, except that it wasn't. And you keep having to go back for more and more prayer. And no matter how many times you have hands laid on you, nothing wrong with that, let me say. I'm not denigrating. I'm saying it isn't all there is. Nothing will happen because we cannot impart to you any more free will than you already have, nor can we impart to you any more of the Holy Spirit than you already have. What the problem is, is releasing the Spirit that you already have. Letting him out of his box in there, letting him stretch. It's no longer two lives to be lived, but one. His through you. That is the top and bottom of the Christian walk. So, this bit's entirely up to you. That's the bad news, but there's some good news to come. I've no doubt that I have been challenging during the course of today, one, one way or another, and the... Um, the definition of the word challenge is to stimulate somebody by making demands on the intellect, to call to account, to provoke to response. So uh, that's what's been happening, I hope. And it's not sloppy agape. I love you guys enough to want to see the best. I can't make your choices for you, but I want you to come into the destiny that God has written for you. And there's destiny over every one of us. The war is that the enemy will 
used to stake his claim on every part of your life where it isn't fully yielded to God. And he will, he will get a strong hold in there and frighten you off of going into the things that God wants for you. Every time you try to step out, he'll say, wouldn't go there if I were you. Oh. And back you go again. It's time we just said, look, I'm going there anyway. Do you mind? Graham Cook uh, tells the story, he's a master storyteller, of meeting a man in church one morning when he was rushing to an appointment and he, Graham asked him how he was and he wished he hadn't ever been in a conversation like that when you're in a hurry because the man said, I'm depressed. Says Graham, how do you know? Who gave you the information? And he wasn't talking about clinical depression but rather just someone who was a bit down that day. The man said, what do you mean? Well, someone must have told you you were depressed. Did the wife tell you? No. Did the elders tell you? No. Did God tell you? No. Well, why are you depressed then? Don't you feel the tiniest bit dumb saying you're depressed and not knowing who diagnosed you until now? No. So I ask a similar question. Who told you you were an orphan? Where did you get your information from? Do you remember where I started with what lies are you believing? Could you be believing a lie? We'll always check the source of our information. I'll tell you what God says about you. And uh, remember Graham's one, he loves you because he loves you because he loves you because he loves you because that's the way he is. He says, you are the beloved of God. He's paid a high price for you. You belong to him. He flat out adores you and he says to you this day, you are mine. Or as Graham put it, you're my woman. Pretty earthy. When he said that, you know, it was earth. It was, it was like, you know, do you mind? You're my woman. I thought, but I like it. <laughs> Passion, desire in there. So if you don't hear anything else, hear this. He is passionate about you and he is not going to leave you where you are. No way, Jose. You're going to have to move. He's coming for his bride. And as he said to me about 18 months ago, tell him, come in ready or not. You are loved. You belong. You are significant. God says so. You aren't going to argue with that, are you? No. Some of us aren't, but probably was the answer I put because I thought some are going to argue with it. So some of you will be reacting, or maybe you're not, to what I said this morning. So if you are, write down your reactions, whatever they are. If you're offended, ask the Lord what button I'm pushing, write it down. If you're angry, ask the Lord what button I'm pushing, write it down. <laughs> if you're, find, you're finding out about yourself here. If you're wounded and feeling misunderstood, write that down and ask the Lord what button I'm pushing. So you're learning that God actually does offend the mind to get to the heart. Um, we're on a journey of self-discovery here today, painful at, at times, but exciting and very necessary uh, if we're to become everything died to give us. So feedback, anybody identifying with things uh, that need to be prayed about? Again, I ask again if there's anybody wanting any prayer anywhere. No? Everybody all right? You do? All right. Anyone else? into something there. Two, three. Would you like to play with Margaret, Tina? Thank you. 
And Dominique, would you like to pray with me, dear? You up for that, dear? You up for that? Okay, right, I'll give you two minutes while I just put something up on the screen then. Um, what I'm going to say next is so obvious, really. The antidote to a lie is the truth. And the truth is that God's love is full towards you. He cannot give you any more because he loves you fully right here, right now. He always has. He's loved you from before the foundation of the earth. Before he created anything, he loved you. He didn't start to love you because you believed on his son. You haven't got to do some sort of balancing act to keep on his good side. Excuse me. Kate, dear, there's some, a lovely... What's it pushing down? Go and get one and put it down. Just think about it for a minute. Before he even created a blade of grass, before anything existed, he loved you. He says in Jeremiah 31.3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore... With loving kindness have I drawn you. He's saying, this is all my idea, folks. I had nothing to do with you. I planned this. I created you. I knew you. I've drawn you. I loved you. Be loved. So what is your response to that statement? I planned you. I created you. I knew you. I've drawn you. I love you. Be loved. If there's something there, write it down. Can you receive it? If not, ask him why. More truth. You are regenerated in Christ. Your spirit man is alive again. John 14, 23. You have the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit living in reality within you. This is where we are. This is you. You're going to be a seed for a moment. This is you. You're in Jesus. Jesus is in the Father. That makes you double wrapped. Like the cheese. You're double wrapped. Jesus is in the Father. You are in Him. Try getting you out of there. Like it. And you have the Father, Son and Holy Spirit living in reality within you. His home is your heart and your home is his heart. When you were born again, someone's done a beautiful little um, um, model up there of the, of the heart and, and the throne and where they are in that thing. Show you, they'll show you later on, I'll ask her to show you. Um, so when you were born again, God came into your heart in his fullness and you'll never have any more of him than you have right now. So what on earth is the problem with us? He did come into our hearts, didn't he? Or did he just come in up here? If he did, that's the problem. As Graham Cook said, I can't live there, Graham. I don't like what goes on up there. why I chose to live in your heart sometimes that can be a bit black as well but never mind uh, maybe you have need that you be born again again and invite him into your heart this time but 
maybe like it says on the thing, you did invite him into your heart, but there's a blockage and his love just isn't getting through. There's something barring the way and you still feel more like a slave than a son. And it doesn't matter how much you do, you feel the same. So that's one of the questions on your sheet. And if you get to that and you've got something, just write it down. So we're on this journey now from slavery and the sense of not belonging to sonship, which means you have security, identity and belonging. So the next thing I'm going to ask you is the last question on your sheet there. What does the garden of your heart look like? Here's a little poem. My life is a garden, your life is a garden. Is it a waste, untilled and wild, like an untaught, untrained child? Or is it good soil under the master's hand? Is my soul his own cherished land? Or has it been sown with his good seed? What's the harvest that comes from this life? Goodness and love or hatred and strife? O Lord, take this stony ground of mine, make it all completely thine. Only then can it ever yield the pleasant fruits of a godly field. While I was praying about all this, I had a picture recently and it was of a walled garden and I was outside and there were like walls down here and across there. But the garden was beyond. And I knew that there was a door in the wall there somewhere, but I couldn't see across where I was standing. It was brambles and weeds, uh, six foot high. But I knew there must be a doorway and I thought it was to the left over there. So I asked the Lord if I could see behind the door um, that I knew was there into the garden itself. And as I looked, he showed me the garden and it was waist high in grass, all gone to seed, sort of uh, golden colour, just gone to seed. So he said, what do you think needs doing there? So I volunteered that I thought the best way over that lot was to be to torch it all, set fire to it, and then rotivate it so that he could landscape it. That seemed to be what was sensible to me. And the picture instantly changed to, I was standing at the end of an ornate Italian garden, complete with statuary and pond. It was absolutely beautiful. There was not a thing out of place. I was at the end of this oblong pond with the fountain in the middle and all the almost carved um, hedges and flower border the whole thing of the Italianate garden you know, absolutely beautiful so your heart's a garden so I'm going to ask you now your next piece of work to ask the Lord what does the garden of my heart look like and are you there is he able to work on it is he able to landscape it Do you let him work on your garden or do you insist it's yours and you'll look after it? Or has he just got a patch over there in the corner somewhere? Or perish the thought, it's outside the door. Can he get in? Are you barring the way somehow? Maybe you feel ashamed of your garden and you don't want him to see it like it is and you just want to get it a bit tidy before you open up (laughs) let him in. Just have a few moments now to reflect on what your heart is like. It's okay if it's overgrown. It's all right if the pathway to the door is choked with brambles and weeds. Wherever it is, it's all right. So again, if you want to go do something on the table for 10 minutes, a quarter of an hour, just and draw what you see or want to write what you see, just take a few minutes and go and be creative over there and reproduce your... Um, 
garden and eat the sweeties up, please. When Dara prayed this morning, he was standing there in the middle of the room and he is so tall. And he was standing in battle dress. He is not mucking around. He is not mucking around anymore. He is not playing games. What he has said today to you personally, he means it and he is serious. And again, when Graham Cook started that prophetic word, he was there again, I thought, I cannot stay here. I cannot. I looked up once, and I thought, I don't look again, because, you know, he means it. He is awesome. When I say I'm in fear, I'm in fear because oh, we're in the presence of God. We are in the presence of God. We are in the presence of God. And he means what he says. He is not playing around. That's it. How do you follow that one then? Behold the goodness and severity of God. I said to you, didn't I, that I was actually frightened this morning with what God had given me because I knew I had to bring it, but it isn't a question of just bringing it, it's how you bring it, you know, because as he said, Graham says there, he's not going to love you any less. Um, but I sense there is a call going out to the body to respond you know, he's not going to love you any the less if you don't respond. But like Gina's words said, if we don't respond, we'll be actually left behind in what is about to happen. And because of his goodness and kindness, he's getting us up to speed. Um, there is a divine acceleration going on. There is a quickening spirit abroad across the earth. But if you in your heart say, Father, I want that quickening spirit. I want to be brought up to speed. He will do that. Not going to condemn you if you don't want to. Um, it's a Gideon principle, isn't it? God kept on making less and less as Gideon could go out and surround these thousands of people with an army of 300. Um, it's not that he's short of people. It's that he's going to give you the opportunity to respond to his overtures. And if you respond, then you'll get fast-tracked and things will start to happen. One of the things I, I wondered whether I should say is if anybody wants any of the teaching that's gone before or any of the weekend schools or the week schools or whatever that we hold, in retrospect, just, um, for, let's say for argument's sake, tell Gina. <laughs> she won't necessarily get the job of doing it. Um, so that you can see what's brought us to this place, to this point. Um, because I, I'm so aware that I know him now as the Lord of Sabaoth, which is the army, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the warrior king. That is, that is what I am knowing him personally as now, is the warrior king. I was praying with someone uh, just not last night, the night before, and to be honest, they were in the grip of something. I don't know what it was. Um, well, okay, yes, I, I, I have a, a clue about what it was. Probably finding the Christian life a little bit too hard, thought, well, I'll go back to where I was before. I'll, go, I'll take a dip back in to um, my old life. And they picked up something that latched onto them and sucked the life out of them. 
they actually looked as if they were an extremist. Um, and I talked with them for a while and I couldn't make head nor tail of actually what they were saying because the, the, the words were slurred, there was not a lot of sense coming out of what they were saying. So I said to the Lord, I'm just going to go over there and pray, you know, and see what happens now. I found myself rebuking a spirit of death. As I did, the person's face changed the colour. The demonic that had hold of them let go. Um, but what I couldn't figure out until, I think it was just this morning, was, was how it happened. And at the moment, the only thing I can <clears throat> understand and see is that they did make a conscious choice to go back into their old life, having been born again. And it was like the Lord was saying, it's death if you go there. It's just death if you turn back to, to where you have been. Um, <clears throat> I'm not about to go telling them that because I don't think right now they receive it, but maybe one of these days they will. <laughs> But I think that that's probably what happened. So the whole of this thing here now is, is giving you choices because that's what he gave us free will for. So I know that you're responding in your hearts and you're not responding out of fear. You're responding because you want to be part of what God is doing. I mean, that's what we're called for, isn't it? So that we can be there and know what he's up to. Um, Someone said to me, How, what about if you're in a church, you know, where you're not hearing this sort of thing? I tell you, God will make sure that who needs to hear will hear it. Uh, that's the answer I have to that one. Because once you've heard it, it burns in your bones like fire in your bones and you, you, you can't get away from it. What's Dr. Samuel Lockyer say? You can't get him out of your head, you can't get him off your hand. <laughs> you can't live without him and you can't <laughs> live with him. That's right. It's just brilliant. Anyway, there we are. Right. So, uh, the Lord himself is here. That is an awesome thing. Awesome. In full battle gear. I have to say, I'm really looking forward to preparing uh, for the um, mobilising the army of God. I'm really looking forward to that. I really am. Um, uh, it's like I've had to get several things out of the way first to be able to see a straight run at it and to get to enjoy it um, and I'm really going to enjoy that as Graham would say you know God loves a good fight chop the enemy's head off and spit down his neck is my view yes. Yes. being the lady that I am <laughs> So we were, God, we're coming into bat. This is what it is. God has not had the church in a position where she's coming into bat yet. I had a picture years ago and, and I was sideways on to a row of marching feet like jackboots, like the First World War. They've got these gaiters and nothing, all I could see was the feet. Nothing was going to stop them. And they were splashing through this like black mud. So I said to the Lord, can I see a bit more of what this is all about? So as the picture opened up, I saw the ranks of the enemy in front of these people. And as they marched, they were just marching straight on and the enemy was just falling away and being trampled under their feet. They never stopped. They just kept advancing. The best kept secret in the church is that 
we have the victory, we don't have to go out there and get it. Uh, all we have to do is stand in what Jesus has done for us. So this is all about learning how to stand. Stand up you warrior women, let's have a look at you. <laughs> okay, right. It's funny because Joyce was praying for me this morning. She says, you like Miriam going out the front of the, ahead of the, the uh, army before they fight. And I had a prophecy from Graham Cookslot years ago. And the lady said, you like Miriam before the army. You're saying, come on, guys, come on, gals, you know, come on, let's go, let's go for this thing. <laughs> it's coming to pass. Takes a while sometimes. Coming to pass. Anyway, stuff like that. Right. You've been looking at the garden of your hearts. Some, had some surprises, maybe. Just the last thing to look at is performance Christianity. A lot of people suffer from this. Uh, so you will be here because you are tired of religion. Tired of trying to perform, earn, jump fences, believe. You're here because you need a revelation of the Father's love for you. But even so, you're probably pretty convinced that as big as that love is, it won't stretch to you. You're just too hard a case for God. And he's probably thrown up his celestial hands in despair a long time ago. It's all rules and regulations and you tried to keep them and you're about ready to jack the whole lot in and go back to fishing just like the, the disciples were, if you see what I mean. Initially you were saved by faith. The church you attend preaches do more, but obscurely the more you do, the less you feel the presence and acceptance of the Father. Saved by grace, we develop our own way of getting there. We revert to the old mindset and it's called works. Very, very easy trap to fall into. I remember looking out the window years ago and just gazing down the garden and a little voice said, do more. And for a minute I thought, yes, yes, Mr. Mother. I thought, here, hang on a minute. Wait a cotton-picking moment. Up it. <laughs> Do more, I should hope so. You're joking. you just got to be on your guard for these little ones. Just that, do more. Huh? Yeah, mm, I will. You know. So, we measure ourselves. We think we know how God sees us and it's always negative. He's never satisfied, of course. He always has a frown, not a smile and a cane behind his back to remind us to jump higher and further. This philosophy spills out to others and we're bitter towards them. We, we judge, weigh, criticise, think they should do more, read the Bible more, go to meetings, give up smoking, that's a good one. Pray more, fast more. In a word, we're legalistic. And like Paul, as to legalistic righteousness, perfect. There's always the do more demon at our heels, so we get angry with ourselves and other people, particularly those who seem to be able to have that love relationship with God without any effort at all. And we think they get away with things they shouldn't, little realising that they are actually moving in the love and grace of God. Their heart has found its home. These people recognise what they are. They know they can't do anything without him. They're helpless, totally at his mercy, and they love it. They actually love being vulnerable to God because they trust him with a childlike simplicity. He's my daddy. Submission to him is a pleasure and delight because they trust him. They hold his hand and walk with him without any resistance. They know him. They trust him. When you meet them, something flows out and that's that love of God. For the person caught in the performance trap, however, what we do is never enough. 
we end up castigating ourselves and be believing that the problem therefore must lie with us when in fact it lies with our damaged receptors and our damaged belief system. We have the elder brother syndrome, a slave mentality, a mindset. Someone talked to me once about the Protestant work ethic. Big words for me. What I understand this to mean is that you are saved by grace and then you jolly well get to work and work for God. This is so off base as to be out there in the galaxy somewhere. It misses the heart of God so far that we'll never get back. Jesus himself said, I'm able to do nothing of myself but only as I'm taught by God and I get his orders. Even as I hear, I judge. I decide as I'm bidden to decide. As the voice comes to me, so I give a decision. I do not seek or consult my own will. I have no desire to do what is pleasing to myself, but only the pleasure and will of the Father. The problem isn't in the spirit man. The problem lies in the mind and emotions and the personality. What the mind has believed and refuses to let go of. Practice ways of getting needs met. Strongholds, they lift themselves above the knowledge of God. That is scary. Religious strongholds grow where there's no self-acceptance or love. There's no acceptance of ourselves, so we won't be able to accept others. I need to tell you what was happening just then. Um, I just wanted to prostrate myself before. Just because he's just so amazing. And he knows the stuff that you're made of. And it, it just, uh, he does this to me. He just touched my heart. You know, it's not kind, is it, when you've got a room full of people looking at you? But there you are. And I just wanted to just go face down. And he said, no, don't do that. You don't have to do that. I know your heart. Uh, but that was, uh, I thought I needed to explain to you. It's just exactly what was happening. I just... He is just so incredible, just so amazing. So there, that, that may help you or not, <laughs> but just to explain what was happening there. So have you got religion? Hmm. There's no problem with God's love in you, you've got it all. The problem is where you protect your intellectual understanding of Christianity when what is being taught doesn't line up with your value system. Because you've never heard it before, you're filled with suspicion about it. And the walls of shame, rejection, abandonment, ungodly beliefs, fear, insecurity, false beliefs are bastioned and held captive. And you fear to let them go, as I said before, and to believe what is being said, because if you do that, you could be left with nothing if it's wrong what's being said. So the risk of letting go of the legalism and the religious attitudes and ideas is, is considerable, it's great and it's real. And God is holding life out to you. But like a fawn coming down to the water, you're hesitant to drink and watch him. He's holding out life. So maybe you prize and guard your intellectual understanding of Christianity and you want answers 
and you question everything and if the answers aren't satisfactory they don't match what you want them to match you throw them out then your Christian walk is in your head and not your heart so there's a conflict hold on to the rubbish or have a complete clearance and begin to take a chance on the love, the grace, the mercy the faithfulness of God the orphan spirit encompasses this and more and many Christians live with a sense of unworthiness imprisoned by religion they can only look out at others with a critical eye they don't like themselves and they don't like other people they're slaves to people pleasing watching all the time for acceptance and belonging and never finding it never feeling secure in who they are my personal view is that there are many more people bound inside the church than out we come in free and proceed to get bound in one way or another and then we have the nerve to try and get our believers to come in and join us in the prison I mean what sort of thinking is that we are bound by pharisaical behaviour oh I said that well I thought I was going to get it by religiosity, fear of leadership, a wrong fear of God and a system that doesn't set us free to be all that God wants us to be and all that Jesus won for us on the cross. This isn't confined to the institutional churches but goes right across the span of Pentecostal, charismatic and the renewal movements. God starts something and we finish it. Control creeps in, religion creeps in, the enemy creeps in and we find ourselves imprisoned with no way out. That's probably the worst thing. There's no way out. We've signed up for this thing but we're miserable in it. Often within the church it's difficult to tell whether a person walks in the heart attitude of an orphan or a son. Outwardly a person may have a pattern of service, sacrifice, discipline and apparent loyalty to God but you don't know what's inside until he or she gets bumped. The attitude of heart overflows when they do not feel they are getting the recognition or favour they deserve. They've done all this all these years, I've polished the pews in this church all these years and now there's a new leader who wants to take them off their favourite project and the balloon goes up. The answer lies in the motive and the intention of the heart. Why were they doing what they were doing and for whom? That is performance Christianity. Performance Christians pray and give to be seen. Everything is about appearance and being noticed. Performance Christianity seeks to earn a relationship with God through activity. And the chart that we saw earlier uh, shows where they're coming from. Duty and earning God's favour is the motivation for what they do instead of the pleasure and delight of serving him when we get religion we become conformed not to God but to the system those of you who know me will know I've been teaching on this a little bit Dr Frankenstein's monster has got up off the table and pursues us malevolently Graham Cook says we have lots of teachers telling us what to do but very few fathers and mothers releasing us to learn to become sons. I tell you my declared intention is that I will leave people who are becoming sons behind me when I go. I don't want a room full of 35 year old nepios which are babes. So sometimes I will say things like a good mum that will actually detonate you out your seat. 
but it's only done not because I'm cross or not because and there's no other reason other than your very best interests. You must only ever put yourself under someone who's got a bigger vision for your life than you had. Don't put yourself under someone who's going to cramp you, keep you in a box and not allow... That's why I ask you to pray for each other. God's big enough. If we make mistakes, he's big enough. He knows the intent of our hearts. He's big enough. Nothing is going to happen that he isn't in complete control of. It's so lovely to be able to release the body to do the things that God wants them to be doing. To win this battle against religion and performance Christianity, we must learn to love both ourselves, God and our neighbours. But first, we have to learn a different way of living and a different way of loving about which I spoke last month. Our relationship with the Father is based on what Jesus did on the cross. We're accepted in the Beloved because of his finished work. We can add nothing. We are loved by God because he chooses, as Graham said, to set his love upon us, not by any merit of our own. It's a relief, isn't it? There's nothing we can do to earn God's love. He will never love us any more than he does right now. You'll never have any more of the Holy Spirit than you have right now. What will happen is that you'll learn to give him more room, as I said before, inside of you. Then you will experience him in his fullness. We are not under judgment. Jesus was judged for us. There is no punishment for us. Jesus was punished for us. We are free to experience everything he won for us on the cross. And there is so much, beloved. It's been like something that's been under wraps, what God has for us. He is for us, he is with us, he sings over us, he laughs at our enemies. I've said to, to the guys before, I've once heard God laugh and it is the most brilliant thing to hear. I was sitting opposite someone with a full-blown Jezebel spirit. Now, we often talk about the Jezebel spirit in the church. With respect, I think we don't, we're talking out of a chimney in the top of our head. Because most of us have never actually come face to face with one. But this one was full-blown. And it had pranced in and sat down and was giving it fiver opposite me. And I'm sat there just relaxed, listening. And all of a sudden, it was as if the Lord was just by my right shoulder and he said, <laughs> Will you listen to that? <laughs> I'm sitting there trying not to laugh because he's chuckling and it's giving it all the lip there opposite. And I thought, oh, Graham talks about... God chuckling, and it really is. It's just a little chuckle. Will you listen to that? Yeah. Uh, he laughs at our enemies. He forgives readily. He forgets our mistake. And we live under his smile. So I've got another some more questions. Oh, I'm making work today. Thank you, my puppet. Thank you. One each, yeah. Do you believe what's just been said? That we, Jesus was judged for us, there's no punishment. We're free to experience everything you want for us on the cross. I haven't got an acetate because I only did it yesterday. God is for us, he is with us, he sings over us, he laughs at our enemies. Do you believe that? 
What are the major barriers to your believing and walking in the truth and acceptance and your acceptance in Christ? Do you struggle with accepting who you are in Christ? Always a big one. Are you led by your emotions? If they were running counter to the truth, which would you believe? What are the major barriers to your self-acceptance? Don't any of you ladies say my bottom's too big? What is the effect of this non-acceptance on your close relationships like your husband, your wife, your children, if you've got a husband or a wife or children? What's the the effect of the non-acceptance you feel on others around you? What's your current perception of God that needs changing? Which book do you need here? I haven't got it, have I? If repentance is about changing your mind, what old thinking must you delete from your mind and what new thoughts must be established in everyday experience? Do you think it is time to change your mind in view of your answers to these questions? Is it time for an agape reformation? Ask God to imprison Eros and release agape within you. If you will tell God that's what you want to do and ask the Holy Spirit to to show you the first thing you need to do to come into alignment. And he says, I will empty you of all you don't need and never wanted. I will purge and purify your heart. I will imprison Eros and release agape within you. All self-obsession, ambition and preservation will die in you. I will empty you of all that grieves me and frustrates you and fill the vacuum with worship. That is a quote from Graham's book Towards a Powerful Inner Life, page 71. That is the one book I would really recommend you get hold of from this day today, this conference, and live it. It sounds good to me. Better than what we've got. Go for it. Amen. Let's just wait on him for a second or two while you're answering your questions there. So that's that's it for me. Good night for me and good night for men. <laughs>